Today I welcome Adrian Hallworth, Principal at Taunton School International. In this episode, I discuss the changes to international admissions due to COVID, the importance of educating parents on A-levels versus IB versus BTECs, why effort over attainment has to be the driving success metric, and why communities benefit from international students. Well, let's get into some of the subject matters we're going to cover today. Your principal and head of international recruitment for Taunton's International School is what it says here. What does that role actually entail? So I make sure that obviously that the two international schools that we have in Taunton are running well as best that they can, both from academic side of things and pastoral side of things. I have lots of capable people who look after the day-to-day running, but I kind of oversee the strategy, I suppose, of that and making sure things are working well. And then a lot of my time though now, probably 75% plus is on international recruitment and marketing. So I have a team who work for me recruiting. So we've got four people who go out. I go out five or six times a year to different countries. We cover about 25 different countries a year. Yeah, lots of marketing to do, lots of social media, digital marketing and so on. So a lot of my role is effectively recruiting international students for every part of the school. And it is all international recruitment. It's not British borders coming into the school. It is international students. So it can be expats. I don't specifically do expats, but we have in the international school, we always have British students here who perhaps coming back, you know, from abroad and want to do a one year GCSE, but largely international. And how many different nationalities do you get to deal with within your schools? And, you know, how many countries do you get to visit? I have a kind of a hit list of about 50 countries that are on our top 50. And in the whole of the school, about 42 to 45 nationalities in the international school here. We have 80 students in the international school. We've got about 30 nationalities. So it's very diverse. Um, and we pride ourselves on the diverse you know, student body here. And do you think international schools have an edge over traditional British schools? I think that what we do here, I can't necessarily speak for all international schools, we have quite a, a low student-to-staff ratio, about three to one. So I think that gives us a massive edge. The fact that we have uh, lots of people to look after the students really does make a difference. You can't kind of fall down a gap and get lost here. Small class sizes, maximum class size 10. So I think that really changed a lot of international schools are very small class sizes, and that really does help as well. I think the courses we offer as well, they're intensive courses. So pros and cons to that, but actually I think the pros outweigh the cons. For example, you know, if you're doing GCSEs in a year, you've only got, you know, our input is two terms instead of five terms, less time to forget all of that input. Look, I love working with international students. I've been doing it for 30 plus years. I just think they're really interesting children. Uh, they bring a lot with them. So yeah, I feel very lucky to work with them. And I, I actually think they feel quite lucky to be in a place like this. Yeah, I mean, it's a beautiful part of the country. There's no question. In your article, Sink or Swim, you raise concerns about whether schools have always had the necessary resources for international students. How should schools be supporting international students? You need to do your homework in the first instance. You know, you need to think, like, okay, what is their level of English? What is that student hoping to achieve? Uh, whilst with you, what are their interests? What can they offer the school? Do they have any, you know, SEND, for example? What are their future plans? So you've really got to do that homework first to make sure that, you know, you've got that clear understanding of their need. And then you can make this evidence-based judgment on actually whether you're the right school for them and whether they're the, you know, they're right for your school. So then once in the school, I think those first few weeks and months are absolutely crucial for an international student. So you really have to keep a close eye on them. That's really key. I think it has to be a blend of you can't just talk to the students and say, is everything all right? Because there are certain cultures that go, yeah, everything's fine. No problem. And so you've got to do, you've got to observe, you've got to watch and also, you know, to pick up clues. So 
yeah, you've got to really, really, really make sure that those first weeks, those first months are absolutely the best that you could be. I also think that, you know, schools need to kind of embrace and celebrate other faiths, religions, cultures, do this in lots of different ways. Um, sport's a good one. I'll probably talk about that later, move on to sport, but there are lots of traditional sports, but international students, maybe things like volleyball, handball, badminton, you know, those kind of things that have teams in those rather than just the rugby or hockey, whatever. Recognising, celebrating, you know, special or important dates in other calendars. Another thing that's very easy to do. Assemblies on different religions and even better if they, you know, student-led assemblies and so on. Other thing like adapting the food, you know, kids love food and, you know, why not have, I don't know, themed days or just adapting your food, you know, whether it's just a case of having some hot sauce available on the side because they want to spice it up a little bit or more salads because actually, you know, international students often don't like kind of stodgy food, which is sometimes very typical British school lunch fare. And how do you ensure that those kids are integrated? There's obviously a British cultural thing. Don't want isolation. You don't want them being in their groups. And you talked about a lot of sort of ways in which you can do that through theming, through food, through get-togethers. But obviously to have a connected community, everybody needs to feel like they're part of that, that community. How do you avoid that isolation and how do you kind of promote more integration? It's really important for us, integration. It's what every parent wants as well. You know, we have two international schools and a lot of the parents would like them in the mainstream school, but their English isn't necessarily good enough or perhaps on a one-year GCSE program or foundation program, whatever. So you've got to look for ways to integrate. That is absolutely key. So we do it through sports. So for example, all of our sports lessons, they're not international ones. They, they're mixed in with the, with the senior school or the prep school, depending on, on their age. We have after-school clubs and activities. So we've got over 140, I think, at Taunton School. All of those are just integrated and mixed. Weekend trips, we've got a really thriving boarding community here, 350 plus boarders would be here at the weekend, so we rearrange trips for them. Again, not international trips, they're there for everybody. They all dine together in the dining hall, so they can see them then. And we also have, really importantly, I think, is house competitions. All the sports you can imagine, house rugby, house tennis, house netball, but we do house cookery, we do house debating, house singing, and so on. They're great ways for them to meet their peers as well. So I just think it's really important that you find ways to help them to integrate. After that, to a certain extent, it's up to them. Very difficult to force anybody to like anybody. I can't say to my students, right, go and speak to, you know, Jenny Smith over there and make friends. All right. You have to find genuine ways for them to come together and then they'll find their own friends in their own time. The last few years must have been incredibly tough for an international school, recruiting international students where everybody was on lockdown. You know, other schools, day schools, UK schools, even those with limited boarding could fare pretty well. Talk me through what happened to you guys really for the last couple of years, because I can't imagine that you would have had anybody at school for a long period of time. That first year, when it first struck, lockdown first struck, that was tough. We had to send all of the students home pretty quickly as well. Otherwise, they weren't going to get their flights. You know, the country was shutting down, not just the school. That wasn't great, but we shifted to online very well. And whether you're sitting in Taunton or whether you're sitting in Paris or Shanghai makes very little difference. Well, apart from time difference, of course, makes very little difference. What we were doing, for example, we were running two different timetables. So our teachers sometimes would start at five o'clock in the morning for our students in, in the Far East so that they weren't working too late and then we'd have another shift and for the, those more in the West uh, coming in later. So that's what we did to make sure that we could continue as best we could online learning. But we also ran clubs and activities online as well. So I think we did a very good job, but school's about people, isn't it? It's about being a community. So it was great when they were back and 
we were very fortunate, I think, in, in the Southwest, we were pretty much able to carry on as normal. Once that first phase was over with, we had students back in. Yes, of course, we had to have them in bubbles, but in a sense, we were already in bubbles anyway, because we did got different sections of the school, certainly academically. We had to take that a little bit further, of course, for clubs and things like that. So actually, I think our students didn't suffer too badly. Somerset was always one of the lowest number of kind of infections. Uh, so we did pretty, pretty well. So our location, I think, suited as well. And we've got lots of open space, of course. We're on a 56-acre campus. So space for our students to spread out. It must have been a real kind of eye-opener to managing an organisation, particularly with your kind of recruitment of international students. I was just kind of wondering, you said that students obviously learn better when they are together. You obviously did a good job. Did anything come out of that experience to go, actually, you know, could we actually offer an international education remotely? Did that ever kind of cross your mind and go, actually, we could probably teach twice as many kids, but all done from the confines of Somerset? It crossed my mind for about a second. And I thought, no, everyone in the school, we'd like to have the children here having a great time. It's, the studies, of course, is important, but it is only one part of, of a private school. There is so much more, isn't there? You know, there is the sport, the music, the art, the drama, the clubs, the societies, the weekend trips, the house competitions. It's a huge amount. And that's what our students want to experience. So, yeah, look, I'm sure there are some schools who can uh, will do it very well. That's not what we're about. What it has done, though, I think it's improved our kind of sped along our digital strategy. It really has helped in that. And so we're now much clearer about the way forward. We are pretty much paperless or moving that way. We've got certain spec that all of our students need to bring with their laptops. Everything is kind of online. And what is nice, actually, is if students are late because of visa issues or maybe they're ill, we can flip to online straight away. So before it used to be that if you're, you know, your visa's delayed, then you just turn up a week late and you're having to catch up. Now, everything's online. So we can teach those who, through visa issues, or maybe they've got chicken pox or something like that, got to be away from school, but they can still carry on learning. Hadn't really broached that, I think, before the pandemic. That's what it's really helped with. And have you noticed the shift in the countries that you are recruiting new families from? Has that shifted because of lockdown rules still obviously being persistent in lots of geographies? Have you had to shift your kind of recruitment strategy? I actually took on uh, responsibility for recruitment, international recruitment, just under three years ago, just as the pandemic was hitting. Lovely timing. So, yeah, we've had to, we have had to, to shift because the Chinese market isn't as big as any school would want it to be now. And it's more difficult for them to come over. Same in Hong Kong. So, yeah, we've had to. So we're looking and I've been focusing more on Africa, the Middle East and South America. We're always busy in, in Europe and we've traditionally always been busy in the Far East and the East. But, yeah, I think we've, we're looking... Africa, Middle East, and South and Central America. So yeah, we're having to, we, want, we need to diversify. It's very dangerous to put all of your eggs in one basket. And there are some schools who've unfortunately closed, I think, because they had too much reliance on one nationality. And I would guess that nationality was Chinese. Absolutely. And you, you want that rich diversity anyway. You know, if we have a greater good, which is education, then actually having a rich diversity of nationalities and everything, it surely improves the education that every child's going to get because it's more representative of the planet and the world that they're going to go into. Are there any kind of barriers to international students coming in from an integration point of view? And do they benefit more from coming over here than learning in an international school locally to them? And then secondly, 
What about those local students? Do you feel that they benefit from having international classmates or is it kind of one way? Barriers wise for international students, it could be their language, of course, that could be a barrier. And that's why I think it's really important that you do your homework. And it is the school set up to take students with lower levels of English. You know, here we have, because we have two international schools, they may start there first and then move into the senior school or the prep school. So we're very well versed. And I do feel sorry, though, for some students who are thrown into a, into a school and say, OK, right, just get on with it. That was that sink or swim article that I wrote. That could be a barrier, I think. I think some schools don't embrace what an international student can bring to the school. I think it tends to be a little bit more one way. So it's kind of what do the international students get out of a British education? What I would say is, yes, that's very important. But actually, what can the British students get out of working with a diverse international cohort. So I think that's very much a missed opportunity in some schools. It's two one way and it shouldn't be that. Other barriers? When we think when our students are going to leave school, what is the chance that, you know, let's take Taunton, for example, what are the chances they're going to stay in Taunton? Pretty slim. So they're going to go to probably cities, probably not in the UK. So they're going to be working either directly face-to-face with or remotely with an international cohort of other people in their company. And so they need, they need to work with students from other countries, different faiths, beliefs, religions, because they're going to be doing that anyway. Taunton is not a metropolis by any stretch of the imagination. What I've said before is we've brought the world to Taunton. I'm very proud of that because if it weren't for Taunton School, there's no way we'd have 40 plus nationalities kind of represented in this area. So it's a fantastic opportunity for our British students to learn about different cultures. And that's why I think the fact that we do the IB is so great as well. You know, one of the different pathways that we follow to university that attracts international students. But more and more, we're hoping British students will kind of jump on board with that. But they're still traditionally like A-levels. We're quite traditional, aren't we, in this country? But working in small groups with international students, I think that's a fantastic opportunity because that is what they're going to probably be dealing with when they enter the world of work. I hope you're enjoying the Inspiring Schools podcast. We're always on the hunt for guests with vision and a desire to share them. If you'd like to be involved or know of someone with great ideas at a school near you, please drop me an email to podcast at interactiveschools.com and my team will be in touch. You believe in effort over attainment. How do you promote this philosophy as an educational leader? I think we do lots of things really to promote effort. For example, first of all, we're a non-selective school, I should say, Taunton School, very proudly so, so for us, our very kind of culture and ethos is based on students coming here, getting involved, doing their best. We're not an elite school in that sense, although we have elite sportsmen and artists and whatever it might be, uh, musicians. But actually, the ethos and the culture of the school is one of coming, enjoying yourself, doing your best. So in very kind of broad strokes, that's what I would say. But we also, in the international schools, for example, we, you know, we're checking effort far more than we're checking attainment. We check effort every three weeks. And we feed that back to parents because that's what's most important. We celebrate effort. We reward effort in assemblies, enrichment certificates that we give out. Enrichment's got nothing to do with attainment whatsoever. What it does, it recognises how much you're involved in voluntary work, in clubs or in sport or in music. We do a student of the week, for example, every year, which is largely based on effort. So lots of different ways. But I think ultimately our culture is one of, because we're not a selective school, it's one of come here, do your best, get involved. And how do you support those students in choosing and finding the best pathway for them? As you say, with four routes to university, is university still the kind of the carrot that everybody wants to get into? Is that what international students buy into as part of that? Or 
have we dispensed of that? And one of the pathways is that so you may not go to university, you might actually go and get a job straight away. From my experience, I would say pretty much all international students want to go to university. You may get some who want to go back and work in their family's business, but even so, I think still think they want to go to university first. So particularly international, can't necessarily speak for the UK. I know that apprenticeships are becoming more of a thing, and I, and I you know, wholeheartedly you know, support that. But apprenticeships, just, well, I, I'm not sure of the logistics of it for an international student in the UK anyway. In terms of, you know, yes, we run four pathways to university. I'm a big believer in choice. I think it's just, you know, if you believe that one qualification can suit everybody, I mean, for me, that just seems ridiculous. I can't quite understand that. You know, people learn in very different ways. And therefore, you know, we need to be able to play to people's strengths. And so to have choice for me at whatever level, and that's what, again, not just at A level, the fact that you have choice at this school because you can start in the international schools or you can do a one-year or a two-year GCSE and so on. Everybody is different and has different needs. When you're helping students to choose a pathway, if we're going back to kind of those routes to university, I think it has to be a very individual approach because of everyone's so different. You know, what subjects they're interested in, what prior knowledge and experience do they have, what are their ambitions, what are their passions? If you look at A-levels, A-levels are great for certain groups of people who they're very clear what they want to do. They enjoy that relatively narrow structure that it's got. My son, for example, when he was choosing between A-levels and IB, he really didn't like languages. That was it. That would be one third of the IB. So it just wouldn't work for him. So A-levels was a very good option. But others love the depth and breadth. And IB offers a, is a fantastic qualification. You know, you've got the you know, talk and CAS all wrapped up in it. And for the right person who wants that broader subject base, it's a fantastic qualification. So, you know, one thing can't be right for everybody. And I think that having that choice here is really important. You know, we also run that business foundation program. That's only for international students. So you can't be British on that one. If you're very interested in the world of business, you're very focused on that, why not? Why not do a business foundation? You can do it in one year or two years. We also run a business BTEC at the senior school and a business sports and exercise science. So it's about choice. How do we get away from, I think, British snobbery when it comes to A-levels, BTEC? And, you know, it's always been known as their poorer relation, the BTECs. Yeah, BTECs, I think, get a really unfair bashing. We just misunderstand them. And our generation, we remember the cachet with GCSEs and A-levels, and that became the pathway to success. And then we become parents, we're looking at our children, and we don't know anything else. And all we know is our BTECs were... If you weren't academic and you weren't good at school, you kind of did a BTEC. Yet they completely restructured. And when you look what employers are looking for, you know, for having a real kind of focused vocation and a lot more kind of practicalities to their course, they're actually much more valuable because, you know, they're coming out with some really great skills. How do we balance that? And how do we educate the marketplace of BTECs and not the poor relation to an A-level? It's difficult. I'm not sure when we introduced BTECs a few years back now. In those early years, it is very difficult because they're an unknown quantity to our audience at that time. They've been around a while, but when you first introduce them, you know, they're an unknown quantity. And rightly so, you know, parents are a little bit nervous about that. But once you've run the course, you know, for a few years and they can see that, you know, our students are getting really good results, triple distinctions, whatever, and then getting into the first university of their choice, then it becomes a lot easier to sell it. So having some, you know, examples of success makes it a lot easier. We just have to get around that we cannot be saying that A-levels are superior to BTECs or BTECs are superior to foundation or foundation superior to IB. Again, you have to come look at the individual need of the student. BTEC is definitely not right for everybody. If the school only offered BTEC, I'd be very worried about it. But for the right person who perhaps wants that more vocational side, perhaps they're better at doing kind of more continual assessment 
and they can keep on top of their work that way because that tends to be how the VTech works, then for them, it's a fantastic option. So we have to educate and we can educate through, you know, the tutor system, through talks, parent line, using online resources. You know, that educating is something that we have to continue to do. We're still educating our parents on IB, for example. It's still a little bit, oh, IB is for international students, isn't it? No, it absolutely isn't. It takes time. I have to say it can be a little bit frustrating because you know that student would be perfect for the BTEC or perfect for the foundation. And they go, "Mm, well, I know A-levels. And that's what parents rely on. And actually, you know, we rely on schools to give us that advice because we don't really know. You're, You're the experts at education. I think your role is to ensure that every child can thrive and actually be the best version of themselves and get the most out of education in whatever shape that comes. I completely agree with you. The IB is completely misunderstood. I've been in this game for a long time now. Because none of my children have done it, I've never really been party to it, but I work with lots of schools that do do IB. But it's still not really understood in the marketplace. When I go and speak to lots of our friends who are looking at places for their younger children, they're kind of asking me the questions like, is it any good? What is it? And I'm going, we still have an issue here with educating the marketplace and what these mean. I mean, your schools are going a long way to make sure that it's represented and we're still kids getting a good education. I've got a final question to ask you, and this is more around the capital that we get back from these students from the UK perspective. Do you find that international students come to your school, they learn, they get the educational value, some of the cultural value, and then they take all of that back to their local countries and do that? Or do you find some go, look, this is just a stepping stone now. I love being in Britain. I want to now contribute to and go and get jobs and careers and stay here. What's your experience? Most that we work with want to at least stay until university. I think that the government changed the law two or three years ago, which meant that students could then stay for a couple of years after they finished university to work, which was, thank God, to be honest, because It was crazy before that. We were saying, you can come to university and as soon as you finish, back you go. We lose all this, you know, experience and all this knowledge. It just didn't make sense. I'm glad they changed that. I do think that certainly our students want to be here. I say most of our students probably come from about age 14 upwards. So they're going to be in the UK for what, eight, nine, 10 years possibly. And I think they are committed to that. But after that, yes, some will stay. I know of clearly of some students who've stayed in this country to work but I do think the vast majority go home it's a bit of a shame more don't stay on because we've educated them to a high level and I'm sure they have a huge amount to offer I'm quite glad that we've given them some real solid foundations they've seen the world in a different way you know I think our values are pretty solid pretty good and when they go back to their own countries maybe they can help to change a little bit if it needs changing and tempering wherever they are I do think that what we are potentially doing is creating kind of People who can change the world, you know, little by little, by changing the mindset or giving them a more expansive mindset, you know, that they would never have got if they hadn't come here. Take that home. And you know, when they're talking to their friends, their families and their children, maybe they're just spreading a little bit more positivity. And, and I, so I think that's a really important thing when they do go home. And I'm glad they do go home and can share that with others. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it may not be that they are here working towards our own kind of business system and adding value in our, in our national health service or whatever kind of organizations we have here. But the fact is that they have invested their time educating, bringing their international values, their cultural outlooks, which make for a better society anyway. 
and the world's a small place and you know we're all connected by technology the small changes they make because of what they've learned here to change again cultural misunderstandings i think it's phenomenal so i mean adrian thanks ever so much for your time today i really appreciate talking to you about international schools and what you're doing in Taunton. thank you simon appreciate it it's been nice talking to you thanks for your time you can connect with me on Twitter, Instagram, and via LinkedIn. Remember, keep inspiring schools. We need more future school thinking now.